Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Smiley. If you don't know me, one of the pastors here, and it is great to be here in Noblesville with my church family. Uh, one thing that I enjoy getting to do when I preach is, is actually I get to share a little bit of my life with you. You get to know me quite a bit. And um, this morning, I wanted to introduce you to uh, my family, if you don't know them. So I have a picture here of my family, my wife, Katie. Um, my two boys, Ethan and Henry, they're in fourth and second grade. And um, it is wonderful to see pictures like that because for me, that picture, it says a lot. It says a lot to me. Um, but for you, you might be thinking all kinds of things. You might be thinking, oh, that's cute. I didn't know that's what Andrew's boys looked like. And I don't know what you're thinking. You might think, oh, I thought I knew that was Andrew's wife, Katie. Now I know for sure that's who that is when I see her walking around. Maybe you're thinking any number of those things. Maybe some of you out there, you're thinking, where is that picture? I really want to know where it is. Maybe you're that kind of person. Well, it's from Spearfish Canyon in the Black Hills of South Dakota. That's where that picture is from. You see, a picture can inspire all kinds of thoughts, right? That's what pictures do. And that picture is important to me because of the people in it. They're the most important people in my life. And uh, that picture reminds me of a fantastic trip that we took last fall. Um, I mean, we went to national parks, we were hiking, we spent lots and lots and lots and lots of fun family time in the van together. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of that. It was fantastic. It reminds me of all of those memories all at once when I see that picture. I know it doesn't for you because you weren't there. Maybe some of you are thinking, I wasn't thinking any of those things at all. And that's okay because it's my picture. It's not yours. I'm okay with that. But what is a picture worth? A thousand words? Some pictures that you have, I'm sure, are worth a lot more than that. Do you have some pictures in your home, on your phone? that are more valuable than other pictures? I'm sure you do. To anyone who wasn't sure if their phone was backed up when you lost it or it got broken or, or something happened to it and you have that moment of panic, you know exactly that feeling. Well, Jesus was not in any family photos. Jesus never took a selfie. Jesus lived in a time in human history where there was no photography. Isn't that interesting to think about how important pictures are to us? But I suggest to you today that Jesus knew the value of a picture. He knows how important a picture is for us. And he gave us all kinds of pictures, word pictures, thought pictures, illustrations that we have to think about. We're forced to think about. Now, as we think about, and as we've been talking as a church about the way forward, that's kind of a big statement, isn't it? We've been in this series. It's the final message in our series called The Way Forward. What is the way forward for White River Christian Church? We've existed for 50 years. What are we going to be about for the next 50 
as God protects us and guides the ministry here at White River, what does that look like? And we've been trying to give you, our church, a vision for what that means for us. And what we're gonna be talking about today is a picture, something that we have to keep thinking about, talking about, keep looking at for the foreseeable future because there is a picture that Jesus gave us that isn't just a picture. It's the picture of a connected life to Jesus. Our mission here at White River is something that is very simple. It's something that we take very seriously here at White River. We hope you hear it at least one time every time we gather together in this space. We hope you hear our mission. Simple, important, powerful. We exist for the purpose of connecting every life to Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And if that's our mission, we need to know what that looks like when it's accomplished. We have to know the end. What is the purpose? What does that look like if we did it well? What does a connected life to Jesus look like? Well, Jesus gives us that picture. Did you know that? Jesus shows us what that connected life to Jesus looks like. He shows it. So what is that picture? Because we're not gonna accomplish our mission without knowing what that is. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15 today. That's where we will spend our time. That is where Jesus gives us this picture and, and we believe that every single person at White River needs to know John 15. We need to think about this. It needs to be in front of us. Perhaps you need to print it off and frame it in a picture frame and, and hang it somewhere in your home. I don't know, but this is what John says. And he is quoting Jesus who says, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. For you observant folks today, you might have seen the picture that Jesus gave us and it is right here. A connected life to Jesus looks like this. It looks like a grapevine. Isn't that interesting that that is the picture that Jesus gives us of all the things that he could have used in all of creation? He chose this, a grapevine. Seems kind of odd to me. I've never grown grapes. 
I would guess the vast majority of us have never ventured to grow grapes. Surely we have eaten table grapes. Maybe you've eaten raisins. You've had a glass of wine or two in your day, but you don't think about grapes and grapevines regularly. It doesn't consume your mind. And so you're thinking that seems a little in left field to me today, Jesus. If this is the picture that you have for me, um, we need to understand why this is so important. And so in order to do that, we need to ask some questions about what Jesus is saying here in John 15. Okay, we can read this and understand. He's saying, okay, I am the vine. You are the branches. I get it. But, but what really are you saying, Jesus? Well, when is Jesus saying this? Where is Jesus saying this? Well, this is John 15 which comes after John 13 and 14, shock. But Jesus was just in the upper room concluding the last supper with his disciples. He just finished washing their feet and having this Seder meal with his disciples, this Passover meal. And it is the night before Jesus is to be crucified. And so Jesus says these things on the way from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane, where he has some final things to share with his disciples. The most important things he wants them to know to make sure that they understand before he goes to the cross, this is when Jesus shares it. And so imagine he has left that room and that meal emotional, and now he is on the way to the garden where there are grapevines everywhere. There are olive trees. He is actually in a garden when he is giving this illustration. And it is one of the final images that Jesus wants us to grasp. I am the vine. 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 He repeats it over and over and over again. He wants us to know who he is, and he is the vine. But Jesus starts this out in verse one. In the NLT, he says, I am the true grapevine. Jesus is always very intentional with his words. Sometimes he's even a little subversive with his words. He's always instructing as he is talking. And what he is saying could easily be misunderstood or just missed entirely. When Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, he is comparing himself to another vine everyone would have been familiar with in his audience. And that is the nation of Israel. In Psalm chapter 80, Verses eight and nine, this is just one of the many places in the Old Testament where Israel is referred to as the vine, as the grapevine. Psalm 80 says, you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us and we took root and filled the land. God described the nation of Israel as a vine over and over again because that is what he wanted Israel to be. 
a fruitful vine that would be a blessing to the world, that God was gonna show how good he was through this one nation, that it would be prosperous, that it would bear fruit and bless the world. Except they didn't do that. Israel became so focused on religion that they became separate from the world in a way that they were not a blessing to the world around them. They did not share the blessings of a relationship with God with the entire world as God desired. They failed in that until the true vine came from Israel. That is Jesus. You see, Israel believed that the Messiah would certainly come, and he did. But they believed that the Messiah would come to restore power to Israel so that Israel could save and rule the world. And Jesus is saying, nope, that is not the story. I am the true vine. There is only one that you need to be connected to. There is no nation that you need to live in more than the other. There is no other leader that you need to follow. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. And you need to be connected to him, the true vine. See, this image is incredibly intentional. It's incredibly full of meaning. And this is a picture that is not just for Jews this morning. Hey, Jesus came for you. No, it's for everyone. It says a whole lot about life and our relationship with God, no matter who you are. You see, life as a branch can be painful. You see, I have this grapevine here and this side is a side that has been pruned. And this side is a side of the vine that has not after just one season. Branch life can be painful because you need to be pruned and cut and trained. Verse two, Jesus gets right into it. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. You see, God knows that life as a branch is a painful existence, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not punishment for you and I, but if we remain connected to the vine, we're going to experience pain. It's necessary, Jesus says. We must experience it. If we're gonna have the full intention and bear full fruit the way that God wants for you and I, we must experience a little bit of that discomfort. Secondly, branches. These branches only have life to the extent that they're connected to the vine. Now, that may sound like the most obvious statement in the history of the world, but it must be stated. This is the picture. Branches only have life if they're connected to the vine. If it is somehow severed or pruned or broken from the vine, it is on the ground and will never, ever bear fruit, right? It will no longer have life running through its branches. It can't bear that fruit. It has to stay connected. 
branches have life to the extent with which they're connected to the vine. It draws all of its nourishment from the vine. It cannot produce fruit on its own. That's not what a branch does. It can only connect, it can only grow fruit connected to the vine. See, what's fascinating to me about what Jesus is saying is how incredibly simple it is. It's unbelievably simple, isn't it? But yet at the same time, it's incredibly complex. And knowing that many times when a preacher has to get up here, we feel like we have to be the expert. And so I am not an expert farmer. I am not a grape grower. I don't know anything about grapes. So what I did was I knew there had to be so much more about grapes I needed to learn. And so I called a friend who grows grapes. He grows them on his family farm. He actually dug this grapevine up for me this week. It was really cool. And he told me so much about grapes. He started as a hobby and now he has a full-fledged winery in operation. So I asked him all about grapes, all about vines. And I wanted to share just a few things that I learned this week. First, he said, what amazing timing that you're calling me today. Well, when I called him, I was going to go start my spring pruning this week. I was like, well, that's interesting. Jesus talks about pruning. You mean that's this week? He said, yeah. I'm like, that's cool. And so he offered me this vine. And I was like, thank you. That's so cool. But he said, what's interesting is the tendency for branches is they will continue to propagate and grow. That's just what they will do because they're connected to the vine. They will go and grow and multiply over and over and over again. They must be pruned. He reiterated that over and over. He said that the best fruit that you will get will be closer to the vine. The further away you let the branches get from the vine, the smaller the grapes will be. And one of the reasons the branches need to be pruned is so that the nourishment can go so that the harvest can be full. That if you let it get too large, you will actually damage the whole crop because it will direct resources to spaces that are unproductive parts of the plant. You see, the branches of the grapevine, he shared, they have to be trained. They will want to go wherever they want to go, but they need to be trained by a gardener. They have to be pruned. They have to be taught where to grow so that they can prosper. They don't just naturally know how to go where they, ever, where they see fit. They're gonna go wherever they want, but the gardener is the one that has to train them. He, he told me that he gets these great plants. They're about one year old and he plants them in rows and it takes three to four years before they will bear fruit, that it takes a couple of years of training so that they can get adjusted on the trellis just so. Pruning so that they can withstand the winter here in Indiana. I learned that, that grapes, pretty simple things, are the, some of the most commonly grown fruit in the entire world. 
that we have evidence of grapes everywhere there has been civilization in human history. It's interesting that the grapevine can thrive in virtually any climate. He told me that they really enjoy the struggle. That's why you can see them in Indiana. You can see them on a hillside in Italy, that they grow in Africa. They grow in South America, in North America, in Australia, in Asia, and in Europe. They grow everywhere he told me that depending on the variety, these, these branches in this plant itself could live anywhere from 20 years to 100 years. And in my mind, I'm thinking as he's explaining these things about grapes that I didn't know, I'm like, now this sounds kind of like a person. <laughs> they, they live all over the world. <laughs> they live like 20 to 100 years. And it led me to this question, like, did God create grapes just so he could use this illustration for the life of the Christian? I don't know the answer to that question. If you do, please get back to me because it certainly seems possible that that's exactly what God did. He wanted to have something that could teach all people of all times of all locations and languages, exactly what he wanted them to be in relationship with him. That is a beautiful picture, isn't it? Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A connected life to Jesus looks like this. This is the picture. That's the picture. That's what it looks like. But it's even more than that. You see, a connected life to Jesus acts like a branch on the grapevine as well. It doesn't just look like it, it acts like it. Now in Jesus, he continues to talk. Verse seven, he says, but if you remain in me, my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Jesus starts to switch the conversation a little bit here with his disciples for the first six verses. He started talking in the first person. I am the vine. I am the vine. Here in verse seven, he switches and starts saying about you, 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 now he's talking about our relationship and what's our responsibility to the vine. When you produce much fruit, verse eight, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. 
There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. When I read what Jesus is saying, it is so clear that it is the branch's responsibility to do one thing. And we can miss this. We might think our job is to work so hard to produce fruit because Jesus talks a lot about fruit. Now that is something that we need to pay attention to. We need to watch out for. But what our number one job is, is to remain in the vine. Any branch that is connected to the vine will produce fruit. It's so easy for us as Christians to think and worry about all the things that we're doing. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to focus on one thing. Stay connected, abide, remain in the vine. Then fruit will come. It will. It is the natural byproduct of remaining in the vine. When we remain in Jesus, fruit will happen. It will occur. You don't have to worry about it. Our job is staying connected to Jesus, which is why our emphasis here moving forward as a church, the way forward is very simple. We need you to continue to ask the questions that we have been saying the last few weeks. Where do you belong? Are you finding belonging in Jesus? Are you really? Are you becoming like Jesus? Who are you becoming? Are you being pruned and shaped and trained and and set in place so that you can ask the other question, what are you building? Look at your life around you. What is the fruit of my life? What am I accomplishing? What am I building? And we ask ourselves that question, not because we need to focus so much on what we're doing, but because if we are doing what Jesus says, we will be building bearing fruit for the kingdom. That is the picture. We can't forget it. If there's one thing we need to remember, the moving forward as a church, we believe this is it. This is it. So simple. So deep. And it's for all of us. As much as our culture wants to sell us what I may call get fruit quick schemes, it doesn't work. Think about the grapevine. It takes three, four years to get a harvest worth anything. It just doesn't work that way. We stay connected to the vine. The fruit will come. Jesus will remain in us if we remain in him. When you see the language in John 15, it's mutual. And he is the one that's providing the life, the fruit, the source 
for everything that we need, but we must remain in him. And I'm so thankful that he is the one that takes the initiative. All I have to do is hang on. See, Jesus talks a lot about choosing. He says to his disciples, uh, he called them. If you know anything about the first century in Jewish scholarship and rabbis, that was so uncommon. That's not how it worked. Students decided they wanted to follow rabbis and then they would go and and learn from some of them and decide, I'm going to follow that one. That is not how Jesus operated. He said, you're following me, you're following me, you're following me, you, let's go. No one picked Jesus. He picked all of them and he has picked you. He's picked you. He's picked you to remain in him today, forever. That's a beautiful picture. And he has chosen you. I'm hoping you're beginning to see why this is so important. That if we're going to be a church that fulfills our mission, this is the picture that has to be out front. Because we have to know the goal, the purpose for which we are shooting. I want you to imagine having $10 million, okay, You have $10 million and you have an opportunity to invest in a company. And there's been this amazing opportunity. There's this watch company that's gonna just be amazing. And so uh, you uh, take a trip to where these watches are being manufactured. You go to this nice, new, shiny facility. It's truly lovely. It can do anything that it needs to. You're like, this is fantastic. You meet and go around and see some of the lovely staff members. They're so capable. They're so intelligent. They can accomplish all kinds of things. Um, They are capable and ready to work. You go to the sales office and they have orders on orders on orders ready to deliver. There is a demand for this product and you're thinking this is a gold mine. I can invest all of this in here and it is going to work flawlessly until you ask one question. Can I see the watch that we're selling? And you get the answer, well, we're just kind of hoping that as we put it together, it's going to work in the end. And you know, in that moment, they have all these advantages, but I'm pretty sure the end is not going to end up well. You see, sometimes it is so easy for us as Christians, as a church, to get so caught up And so many other things, buildings and programs, wonderful things that are necessary that God has given us to accomplish the mission. And we forget the picture of success. We forget the reason why we're gathering in the first place, that this is what we're shooting for right here. This is it. We have to know, we have to be laser focused on the picture that Jesus gave us because he shows us what a connected life to Jesus looks like. And as surprising as it is, it's right here. Pictures can tell millions of stories, can't they? 
A picture of my family in South Dakota may not be that special to you, and that's okay. But the picture of a connected life to Jesus has to be right here for all of us moving forward.